Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, it's Friday before game day. You getting excited for uh, OSU-TCU? A bit of a uh, sleepy 11 a.m. kickoff against a, a very average TCU team. Have you, uh, have you, are you up for this game? And is OSU up for this actually, game? Actually, I am. <laughs> Yeah, I actually am up for this game for a couple of reasons. One, this is one of my favorite times of year when college football and college basketball overlap because you get that midweek game that kind of tides you over until Saturday when you get another football game, and Oklahoma State Marquette did that for me this week. Uh, also, for any interested parties like myself who may or may not have sprinkled a few dollars on Oklahoma State over the win total of seven prior to the season – both of these next two weeks are very important, so I am still very much locked in on Oklahoma State's football success. Absolutely. I, this is my favorite time of year, too, between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. We get both sports. We even had a midweek NFL game to tide us over on Wednesday. That was fun. Right. And we usually have the NBA going right now. Of course, that won't be for another uh, – what's the right? Well, that won't be for another 18 days we have to wait. What a long, long off season this has been. No kidding. <laughs> That's wild that NBA starts at the end of the month. That is just insane. Yeah. And I still don't even know who's on the Thunder roster. That changes every single day. Uh, but before we get to the OSU-TCU preview, we're definitely going to talk Cade Cunningham and the basketball team as well. This podcast is brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop for all things OSU. All day, every day, they offer free standard shipping on orders over 50 bucks. And believe me, you can get a lot of stuff on Chris's for, for 50 bucks as well. And uh, you can go to chrisuniversityspirit.com to get all your shopping done and, uh, I encourage you to do that. We appreciate Chris's once again being with us this season. And football season is winding down. But, again, just to uh, – uh, I guess Oklahoma State's game against Baylor isn't officially off, but we'll have to wait and see if they play that game with all the COVID stuff that's been going on between Oklahoma. Uh, their game against Baylor on Saturday is on as well. But uh, we appreciate Chris's sponsoring the show. So, without further ado, Colby, before we hop into the game itself, you know, the big story this week has been – Desmond Jackson, rightfully so. Um, he obviously had the 235 yards, and apparently, according to Bill Haston, only 13 tailbacks in OSU history have had 235 yards. He joins the likes of you know Barry Sanders, Thurman Thomas, those type of guys. And uh, he was a pleasant surprise, Colby. And with the way Chuba Hubbard's been banged up, LD Brown as well, uh, I think Desmond Jackson's gonna gonna carry a lot of the load again on, on Saturday. Yeah, I, I was looking back, and on Monday, Mike Gundy had talked about the fact that they were hoping Chuba and LD would get back to practice this week, but as of now, Desmond is the starter for tomorrow. That, of course, was a little bit earlier in the week, so I don't know how Chuba and LD have progressed, but if those guys aren't 100%, and you talked about this a little bit on Monday, 100% of Desmond Jackson right now looks like it's probably better than 70% of one of those other guys. If you're not healthy, it's just tough to do all the things you need to do at that level of football. So I'm all in on Desmond Jackson getting another start. It will be tougher against TCU than it was against Texas Tech. Texas Tech has one of the worst run defenses in the conference. We know that Desmond Jackson exploited it, but he did a great job all day. He had real holes to run through. He always hit the right hole. And man, he was physical in the open field, 5'11", 220. And I mean, he's a guy that, you know, he comes running downhill at you. And you think twice about just how hard you want to hit him. So I liked what we saw last week, and I'm looking forward to more of it tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I, I that's one of the things I'm most interested in seeing is what you mentioned. Like, how much would the, was the offensive line success the fact that for the first time all season they had the same five guys practice as a unit on the offensive line, that cohesiveness? Uh, was that a misnomer because of tech, or is the offensive line finally having some sustainability and some cohesiveness and Desmond Jackson's decisiveness. How much of that was Tech and how much of that was OSU? I think it's going to be a big factor uh, coming into this game. And what I like about Desmond Colby is, and this is something Casey Dunn talked about right after the game, and he spoke more about it this week, is he said he, said he told Desmond that he can hit the B button, a.k.a. the spin move on a controller, you know, when you're playing NCAA. He said you can hit the B button after you cut it upfield for four yards. Then you can do whatever you want. And I think that's probably been a frustration for Casey when he's calling run plays with, with Chuba and LD. I feel like those two guys with the way the line had blocked all season, they felt like they had to do a lot at the line of scrimmage at the, at the hole. 
And I think Desmond was pretty no frills about it and, and was and obviously he had much bigger holes against Texas Tech. But I think that his running style, I think, can help this offensive line because he's not the home run hitter of Chuba who's used to taking it 70, 80 yards and trying to make something that's not there. So I really liked his decisiveness. And, and he's also fresh. I mean, Bill Haston pointed this out as well. He'd only had 18 carries coming into that game. And I think that's something that Bill compared to Ramondre Stevenson with Oklahoma, who had not taken the punishment of five, six games and, and is fresh. So, yeah, I mean, with, you combine his freshness with his, you know, no frills approach. I think he can have some success against TCU because TCU to me is just such a weird team. I mean, they're, they're still coached by Gary Patterson. So they're not, they're not just Texas tech bad on defense, but to me, they're, they're nowhere near a, a prototypical Gary Patterson type defense. No, they're not. And you look at the results this year, the most they've given up in a, in a single game is 37 points. And that was in the opener uh, to Iowa State. Of course, they didn't play non-conference. They were supposed to play against SMU, and that got canceled due to COVID. So they've played eight games. All eight have been in conference, and now they've got uh, a couple left here at the end of the season with uh, – oh, yeah, they added Louisiana Tech to make up for the game they lost against SMU on December 12th. So this is actually uh, TCU's last conference game. And you, you talk about Desmond Jackson needing to get downfield a little bit before he starts to make moves. And I think with Chuba and LD, it's a little bit of the chicken and the egg scenario with them bouncing around at the line of scrimmage. It's like, well, are they bouncing around at the line of scrimmage because guys are back there and there, there are no holes to run through or are there holes to run through and they perceive that somebody's going to be getting there. And so they're bouncing around behind the line of scrimmage. We didn't see that last week with Desmond Jackson, we saw him immediately getting down the field. I, I don't think, look, he's not going to run for 235 yards against TCU. 36 carries last week. What, what do you think a good number is this week? I'm thinking somewhere in the neighborhood of 22 to 24 carries. And if he can turn that into, uh, what, 24 carries, five yards a carry uh, at that pace would be 120 yards. So some 24 carries, 120 yards, something like that, I think would be a really good day against a Gary Patterson defense. Well, for me, I think it all depends on how they're running it. If they're running it anywhere close to the way they were against Tech, I'm good with him getting another 30, considering what I mentioned, how fresh he is. I mean, this is he has he hasn't played hardly at all in two years on campus. So I, I would even like more than that. Um, now, obviously, that's that's dependent on Chuba Hubbard. Look, if Chuba's remotely you know, close to 100%. I obviously want him getting some carries too. And I, and I, I kind of wish they would have gotten Chuba more involved in the passing game too. That's something that he did as a freshman was he was more of a third down, you know, receiving threat. His first touchdown, I believe at OSU was a, was a catch. And that's something that I think I've been disappointed in so far this season with the lack of progression and in, in the usage of Chuba, but no, I'm, I'm good with him getting more carries than that. But speaking of Chuba Colby, you know, we had Tevin Jenkins opt out this week. You know, he's got a back injury. He's been beat up all season. I'm curious. I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat surprised that I was kind of half expecting Chuba may opt out if he's still banged up. Um, maybe the, the light at the end of the tunnel that, you know, maybe there is a chance they could, they could sneak into the uh, Big 12 championship game is preventing him from doing that. And I'm curious if they do get into it, maybe Tevin Jenkins might reevaluate. Who knows? But are you a little surprised that, that Chuba hasn't opted out? A little bit, yeah. I think, you know, I was looking at uh, mock draft yesterday and didn't see Chuba's name in the first round, but I did see Tevin Jenkins' name in the first round. I saw him going 25. I can't remember the team, but, you know, it, it just makes sense if you're projected to go that high. And at this point, you know, you have a very outside chance of getting to the Big 12 championship game. But with all the injuries he's dealt with, it made sense. The Chuba thing, I, I don't know, because if he's not going to come back until he's 100%, well, what if he's not 100%? this week and what if he's not 100 next week so he misses the last two games of the regular season are, are you really telling me he would just come back and play in the bowl game whatever the bowl game was even if that happens i i just can't really see that uh being a very smart decision on his part there there is too much money on the line and i know a lot of people just you know you you signed up go play with your teammates until you're done i get that there's too much money on the line it's it's too big of a risk for some of these guys whenever they can't accomplish the goals they set out to in college. It's like Rashad Bateman at Minnesota, projected first-round receiver, graded even higher than Tylen Wallace by all the, the draft uh, gurus, the draft gurus. Um, you know, he came back to Minnesota. He opted in, played a few games, realized, okay, 
our chances of winning anything have pretty much gone away. And then he opted out to get ready for the draft. And in such a weird COVID filled season, I don't really blame anybody for making the decision they think is best for them. Yeah. It's been a weird year. No doubt. This, this I was, as you were talking, I was looking up the big 12 stats this year and I was, I was trying to find just how terrible tech's been on, on rushing defense, but in doing so, and they haven't been terrible. They're middle of the road. They're, they're sixth in the big 12 and in, in rushing defense. Um, they're white. They're one, two, three, four. They're fifth actually. But did you know TCU is second in the Big 12 in rushing offense? That stunned me. They're ahead of Oklahoma. They're ahead of Oklahoma State, who's third. Oklahoma's fourth. Iowa State's one, obviously with Brees Hall leading the way. But that somewhat surprised me. I, I did not envision. Now, part of that, too, is the fact that Max Duggan has thrown eight touchdowns this year. He's, he's had four games this year where he hasn't thrown a touchdown, which that would be bad in 1984, let alone in, in 2020, the way offense is played nowadays. So maybe that's why they ha just have the, the sheer volume, the sheer numbers is because Duggan probably runs it more than he throws it as well. But uh, that, that stunned me. I did not expect that when I, when I saw that. Yeah, you know who TCU's leading rusher is, don't you? Is it Duggan? It's Max Duggan. <laughs> He's Max Tim Duggan. Tebow. Yeah, Max Duggan is the leading rusher. They've got five different guys who have at least 27 carries and at least 125 yards rushing on the season. So it's been very balanced attack. They've had a lot of guys running it. Also, uh, their schedule has weakened up as of late. They were playing some better teams to open the season. They started one and three. In their last four games, they lost to West Virginia, but they beat Baylor, Texas Tech, and Kansas. And in those three games, they rushed in the mid-200s as a team against all of those teams. But like you said about uh, Duggan throwing the ball, I mean, if I'm Oklahoma State, I load the box and force him to throw the ball. He's only thrown for at least 200 yards three times this season. Uh, three times he's been in the hundreds. Twice, he didn't even get to 100 passing yards. He didn't throw for 100 against Kansas. Now they ran the ball nearly every play. So, you know, it's Kansas. It is what it is. But he didn't throw. He threw for 73 yards against Texas Tech three weeks ago. So load the box and make that guy throw the ball. And if he beats you through the air, you live with it. But don't sit back and just let them run it all day. I'm I'm all in for having eight guys in the box all day long. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I like Duggan. I, when he came to Stillwater last year as a, as a freshman, I thought he played really well. I thought he showed, showed a lot of signs that he was going to be a really good quarterback in this league. And he has just regressed. You know, when, when Oakland, we were doing the preview for the OUTCU game on Channel 5, and I was kind of touting Duggan that, you know, he could give OU some problems. And and Keating is Brian Keating, my coworker at Channel Five, has never let me live it down. He's like your boy. Every time Duggan comes, I'm like your boy Max Duggan. Here's his terrible numbers again. And I'm like, yeah, maybe he wasn't as as good as I thought. So, as much as we, you know, kind of bemoan the fact that Spencer Sanders hasn't progressed, I mean, Max Duggan has significantly regressed. And along those lines, and I think this is this is part of it. You know, I was just kind of looking at TCU and just their program in general <laughs> and as much as we talk about has Mike Gundy plateaued and people are disgruntled with Mike Gundy have you seen what the TCU's demise in the Big 12 to me has gone completely under the radar so here are their records they've had three unbelievable great seasons the rest they've been awful I mean barely making bowls or missing bowl games they've missed bowl games twice so here's the record since 2012 since joining the big 12 seven and six four and eight 12 and one which that was 2014 when they split the title with with baylor 11 and two six and seven 11 and three seven and six five and seven and now they're four and four i don't think people have talked about you know People haven't said enough, like, was Gary Patterson more just a product of playing in the Mountain West? Because ever since he's gotten the Big 12, he had three great seasons, and it's all or nothing with him. It's either they're, they're double-digit wins and threatening to win the Big 12, or they're barely making a bowl game, Colby. Yeah, and to me, it's just quarterback play. We talked about Oklahoma State and some of the concerns that we have going forward. You know, you got a couple guys, are any of them the guy? The problem for TCU has been quarterback. You look at those three great seasons that they've had. Well, who do they have? They had two seasons where Trayvon Boykin was really, really good. And then they had one season 
of Kenny Hill. You remember he came in from A and M. Kenny Trill. Kenny Trill. <laughs> Kenny Trill after he had the big game, uh, and and you know he was following up Manziel, and then he winds up having one great season at TCU. So two years of Boykin, one year of Hill. Hill. That's all you've got at TCU in terms of decent quarterback play. Not even. I, I mean, Boykin obviously was great. Hill was pretty good. That was the year they lost to OU in the Big Twelve title game, but. Aside from those three years, they have been atrocious at that position. And, I mean, at some point, yeah, you do have to look to the head coach and you have to start asking questions as to why this guy can't get better quarterbacks onto campus. And if he does, as to why it just never seems to work. And I know the one kid, I, I forget his name, had the drug issues a few years ago uh, and had to bow out. But it, it's just one thing after another for TCU at quarterback. And until they find the guy – I think we're going to keep seeing more about 500 football from TCU because let's be honest, that's about what they are everywhere else. And if you get a good quarterback, you can win double digit games, but if you don't, they're a 500 football team. Yeah. And that's why like when people try to suggest Gary Patterson going to Texas one, that's uh, not happening because he and Texas have a very <laughs> checkered uh, volatile past first and foremost. And two is the results we just listed off. I mean, Texas isn't going to hire Gary Patterson. And so we also kind of, you know, critique Mike Gundy's recruiting. I'm looking up at the rivals team recruiting rankings. I go by rivals. Some people prefer 24 seven to me. Rivals has been doing it the longest. I, I still think they're the best. So Oklahoma state's 52 in the country in recruiting class. TCU is tied for second to last 98th. Do they so, just have no commitments right now or what? They have eight commitments, none of which are none of which are three stars. They're all less than three stars. Yeah, that's not good. Which I think I think Gary Patterson's had some issues. You know, we talked about Mike Gundy's issues as well with his players and all that. You know, Patterson's had some of that too. And uh, I guess not some of these guys are three. They're all uh, all eight yeah. commitments are three stars. Yeah, let's not forget a big story in the Big 12 preseason was Gary Patterson walking into the locker room and saying the N-word and having to get a talking to from his team. Yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing more and more of this, Colby. Just the, the old school football coach is kind of going by. It's it's a different era. It's a different student athlete. I just – I don't know if his approach is, is frankly working anymore at TCU. So that's – as much as we, you know – try to downgrade, be downgrade Mike Gundy in his words. I mean, Gary Patterson's kind of at a, at a crossroads here as well. So that, that's certainly, certainly interesting coming into this ball game. And uh, uh, one more thing I want to hit on too is uh, Rodarius Williams. We've, we've talked a lot about him on the show, Colby, and we, we know he's played great. And I think you saw in the Texas Tech game when, when he went out, I think uh, Tech really tried to attack where, where he was not. And I think that was a big factor in that game. But Pro Football Focus says he's the most improved corner in the entire country. And that's that's really the level he's played at. They say that, uh, let's see here, this is from Jim Nagy from uh, SB Nation. Uh, no corner in the nation has helped himself more in 2020 than Rodarius Williams. Never looks panicked, finished more consistently than on junior tape. And per PFF, has the same number of forced incompletions, nine, on 21 targets than he did on 72 targets last year. <laughs> and so he's he's playing outstanding. Obviously, he's the younger brother of Greedy Williams, who was a very high draft pick in the NFL. And this is kind of what I always talk about. Like when young corners get in there at a young age, like Rodarius did and A.J. Green, and they get beat some, like people just write them off. And it's a lot like playing quarterback, Colby. You have to progress. You need the reps. You need the experience. And what you've seen is Rodarius Williams has blossomed into – one of the best corners in the entire nation. And it's, it's been a lot of fun to watch his, his career. Yeah, it has been. You know, he came in, uh, he was so young and he was so raw when he got to Oklahoma State. And I think everybody hoped, you know, him and A.J. Green were kind of coming along at the same time. I think everybody hoped that they would turn into great players, but we didn't know. And they both kind of did. A.J. Green was a, an absolute stud last year. And we're seeing the same thing out of Rodarius Williams. And now I'm looking at corner ratings going into this next year's draft and I'm seeing Rodarius Williams in the top 10 of pretty much every uh cornerback rating across the board he, he's related to Greedy Williams are he, he and Greedy Williams they brothers yes he's the younger brother he's the younger brother okay yeah I saw him tweet something the other day to Greedy it was his birthday or something asking him if he wanted a new Lambo 
something like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's been fun to watch him grow up. And even up until last season, it was like, you know, this guy's a good corner. He's a good player. But I didn't think of Rodarius Williams as a lockdown, put him on an island guy. And that is absolutely what he is now. I mean, when he went out last week at the end of the first quarter against Texas Tech, you know what Texas Tech started doing? They started throwing it over people's heads. And they started really going at that right side of the field because he wasn't over there anymore. And in that first corner, first quarter, Vasher was over there and he was pretty much shutting him down. So um, I love Rodarius Williams. I think that what he does on his side of the field allows Jim Knowles to be as aggressive as he is everywhere else. And next year when Rodarius Williams is gone, I think Jim Knowles will have to make the adjustment to giving his corners more help knowing that he can't just have a guy who has an entire side of the field locked down and that leaves you 10 players to do other things. Exactly. And that's why OSU plays so much man-to-man because they obviously trust Rodarius. You lock down one side of the field, man-to-man all of a sudden becomes a lot easier. Trace Ford, Calvin Bundage, all those guys can can tee off a lot more. So you're, you're exactly right. So it's going to be fun to watch his you know, final few games as an OSU Cowboy. And it's going to be fun to see kind of where he goes in the, in the NFL draft. I think this defense... I think we're going to see a lot of guys drafted that are playing defense right now at Oklahoma State. And we haven't been able to say that a lot uh, over the course of, of, of Mike Gundy's tenure. So that, that's been fun to watch. And obviously that's a huge key coming into this game. Let's preview the game, Colby. Oh, it, you know, I was, to me, TCU was probably the weirdest team in the entire league. They're right there kind of for me with West Virginia. They've kind of gone under the radar. Like I wanted to come into this game and just say, ah, TCU stinks. So she's going to roll, but TCU has won three of their last four games and can finish with a winning Big 12 record after starting one and three. And they're at home for the first time in four weeks. So maybe that's a boost for TCU. Uh, what's the point spread at in this game, Colby? I think it opened to like two and a half. What's it down to now? It's down well, to like two and a half is what I saw it at yesterday afternoon. I haven't looked at it this morning, but I'll go find it while uh, while you continue the preview well, here. Well, that, um, that to me tells me Vegas thinks TCU is going to win the game. I mean, because if you're just... Joe Blow in Vegas, you look at the board and you see that ranked OSU is only a two and a half point favorite against a, a TCU team that's four and four. You're like, oh, easy money. Let's, it's let's gone bet, down. Let's bet it all. And it's going yeah. down. It's gone down. Oklahoma State, as I'm looking at it right now on Bavada, one and a half point favorites. Also, TCU is minus 115 at plus one and a half. For, so for those of you who aren't real familiar with gambling terms, minus 115 means you have to risk 115 to risk 100. Whereas for Oklahoma State minus one and a half, you only have to risk 105 to win 100. So TCU's even juiced a little bit at plus 105 as the line moves their direction. Wow, that uh, that's a red flag for me. You know, I, on, on Sunday I actually picked Oklahoma State to win pretty handily. Uh, I'm not sure why they haven't won any games handily <laughs> this year. I just for me it was more about TCU than than Oklahoma State, but it is. It is a tough road game at TCU. Um, how do you see this game playing out, Colby? For me, it, it all comes down to Spencer Sanders. I mean, I, we've talked so much about it. And uh, he's thrown at least an interception in 10 games out of his 15. He's got 16 career interceptions in 15 games. To me, if, if he can just limit his big mistake that he had against Tech, the, the interception, play more under control, and if the offensive line can, can play anywhere close to they did against Tech, I think – I think Oklahoma State can win this game by double digits, but uh, that that point spread uh, certainly certainly concerns me. What's what, what are you kind of looking at coming into this matchup? Yeah, you mentioned Spencer Sanders, and we talked about him on Monday, but I, I feel like his mind-numbing decisions, and I don't know, this could just be a, a feel versus real thing. Maybe I'd, I'd have to go back and study the tape, but it feels like on third down is whenever he tries to do too much and he ends up making these interceptions. I feel like he gets to third down and he thinks, well, this is my last shot. You know, I might as well throw it because if if something bad happens, well, we were going to have to punt anyway. You know, we saw that uh, against Texas whenever he threw it into the double coverage and the two Texas defenders knocked it away from each other at the goal line. That was on third down. Uh, I'm fairly certain the pick last week against Texas Tech was on third down where he rolled to his left, spun, threw back into coverage, and it got intercepted. It's okay, especially if you're in field goal range, it's okay to throw it away on third down. So I'm looking for one, maybe two more plays a game where Spencer Sanders throws it away because there's nothing there. Because even if it turns into a punt, even if it turns into a field goal, if there just is nothing there, throw it away. I I feel like 
Spencer Sanders maybe has been watching too much Patrick Mahomes where Mahomes just backpedals and backpedals and backpedals and then slings it 100 miles an hour right into somebody's hands. I'm sorry, Spencer. I think you're really talented. You're not Patrick Mahomes. And maybe you should just keep your TV off on Sundays because that's not your game. Throw it away. Live to fight another day. I think if he does that, he can become so much more successful as a quarterback than what we've seen to this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. That, that's a great point on, on third down. It does seem, and that's what happened against Tech, like is exactly what you mentioned. He He's backpedaling and he's like, well, this series is over if I don't make something happen. And that's that's something he's going to have to learn to do because I think, you know, obviously Gary Patterson with his defense, they're going to, that's their number one objective in this game is to, to force Spencer into those situations on third down where he does feel like he has to make the home run throw. Now, I do think, I do think Casey Dunn had a much better game plan, put him in much better positions against Texas Tech. I thought that, you know, he, he got him a little more going in the, in the shorter range passing game. And Colby, I've given up any hope at all that they're going to get Jelani Woods involved. So I'm not, I'm not going to like key him anymore because that, that, that dream is dead. But uh, I just, I need to see some other receivers. I mean, throw it to two, 15 times. I'm not saying don't throw it to Tylen, but I'm sorry. Tay Martin was that we got him off the milk carton box last week. Maybe he can get involved. Dylan Stoner is, is kind of is what he is, but a guy I think they should put on the field more is, is a Landon Wolf. You know, they, they tend to go to so, so many, you know, 12 personnel looks with tight ends with Logan Carter and, and Jelani Woods. And I get, that's probably mostly a, a product of being afraid of your offensive line, not being able to protect but I just think Landon Wolf's a good football player and he seems to make plays when he's out there. So I would like to see them spread it out a little more. I think Spencer's more comfortable with that in terms of being able to see the field when it's more spread out from the shotgun and all that. So maybe for me, get Landon Wolf more involved too. Cause that, that, that secondary passing game has just been, been non-existent this year. And, and that's, that's surprising to me considering the receivers coach is now the offensive coordinator in Casey Dunn. I thought, I thought he would tend to spread it out a little more, bit more amongst the receivers. And I know that's partly the quarterback deciding where the ball goes. I'm not naive to say it's not, but I just think they got to get, they got to get secondary and third, uh, third level targets involved here. Yeah. I remember preseason we were talking about, you know, who's going to be the big guy to step up next to Thailand. Is it going to be Braden Johnson with all the deep balls, Dylan Stoner, third down possession receiver. And you know, all those guys, your third down possession receiver, you're just kind of normal go-to receiver, your deep ball threat. Those have all been Tylen. I mean, basically he's filling the role of every receiver on the offense and, you know, he's great and he's done a good job of it. But I think we've seen it hinder Oklahoma State a little bit offensively that either they have not incorporated the other receivers into the offense enough or Spencer Sanders just isn't looking the other guy's way enough because he doesn't have the trust developed with them that he has with Tylen Wallace, I, I still don't know why there aren't two deep shots a game to Braden Johnson. I mean, he's a speedster. Send him yeah. down the field, take two deep shots a game. It, it's Maybe it's because of the protection. Maybe you don't have time to let him get down the field. But like I said, they're throwing deep shots to Tylen Wallace. So there's a few times a game where you can get a shot over the top. Um, and then Dylan Stoner has been just about non-existent. Oh, that was funny. You brought up the milk carton. You know, we hear about these transfers, Anderson and Martin in the offseason coming in at receiver, and these guys are going to be playmakers for Oklahoma State. Nope. Crickets. Absolute <laughs> crickets out of those guys. So I, I really – I don't know what the solution is to the one receiver uh, offense that Oklahoma State plays because it's very much a one receiver offense. As a matter of fact, I want to look at Oklahoma State's – let me go pull up the stats because I want to see – just how far behind Tylen the number two receiver yeah. is. While you, while you do that, I'm glad you brought up D. Anderson because I have his page pulled up. He has one catch for 14 yards against Kansas. This is D. Anderson, who is six foot six, transfer from LSU, was the 19th overall player in the state of Texas, was a top 200 player in the country coming out of high school. I mean, six foot six. And, you know, there was a lot of hype surrounding him transferring in from, from LSU and he's barely been out there. I mean, I just, I mean, I'm not going to compare him to, to Tyron Johnson, but it's a similar frustration in that you have this talented kid from LSU that has the pedigree and you just, you've not been able to get him involved. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of issues on offense this year, but to me, that's, that's part of it. Not getting these, these other receivers involved guys that clearly have the talent that they're not being 
either a put on the field or or be put in positions to succeed. So that 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 is concern. I, let me just guess. I think Tylen is what like probably seven hundred yards ahead of Stoner. Uh, not quite that much, but I mean you're in the ballpark. So Tylen Wallace is the leading receiver, forty six catches for seven hundred and eighty five yards. Dylan Stoner is the second leading receiver, twenty six catches for two hundred and 30 yards so 555 yards separate (laughs) Kylan from Dylan Stoner and and what's maybe even more damning for the Oklahoma State offense is the fact that no other receiver aside from Tylan has more than one touchdown on the season nobody has two nobody Braden Johnson has one uh Landon Wolf Logan Carter Jelani Woods and Chuba Hubbard those five guys each have one wow then Thailand has five. That is, I mean, that is mind-blowing. The fact that Oklahoma State only has 10 passing touchdowns on the season is mind-blowing. That's insane. Now, I know they're, they haven't scored hardly any touchdowns at all, but uh, yeah. that is, that's, a, that's, that's terrible. And, and again, I, I supported Casey Dunn getting the job. I thought he had done such an excellent job at, at receiver, and that's why they went back to, that's why Gundy, you know, got him back in the fold from when he left to go to UNLV. But uh, I think if you had to grade him this year, it hasn't been very good. I, and again, I, I totally understand the, the offensive line issues. We all understand that, but this is a results-based business. And uh, I need to see some, some real strides here. I thought he, I thought he did a much better job against tech, but uh, this is another, another stiff test against, against TCU who, you know, it's Gary Patterson. He's at home. He's going to have a, a game plan coming into this game. So I, how would you grade? uh Casey done this year yeah I, I mean I would like to give him an eye for incomplete but I, I feel like we're too far into the season for me <laughs> to do that we're, we're eight games in I think I would give him a C I mean I don't think he's failing as an offensive coordinator I think with all of the offensive line struggles that has to be factored in but I also think you know you bounce around with a couple quarterbacks it did not seem like there was a plan at all going into Bedlam I just I don't know whether that was Casey Dunn. I don't know whether that was Mike Gundy, but the plan of just stacking everyone in as tight as you can and playing in this phone booth for the entire game of Bedlam, which is where OU is strong defensively, was one of the worst plans I've ever seen. And mm-hmm. I think Gundy admitted as much whenever he said he didn't like their concepts after the game. I think there's been some good and some bad from Oklahoma State. So I would probably give him a C and I was probably hoping for a little bit more than that coming into the season. I, I was pretty high on Casey Dunn. I thought that he had learned under some of the best offensive coordinators in the country over the last decade. And uh, again, maybe, maybe more of it is due to the offensive line struggles than I'm giving credence to. I, by no means am I saying that they should fire Casey Dunn after the season. He definitely deserves some more time uh, in that role to, to get it working, get it flowing. But I don't really think I can go higher than a C right now. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'd probably even go C minus just based on, I mean, the lack of production's just been, been startling. Um, so I'm, I'm with you. All right, Colby, let's pick the game. Uh, I, oh, after seeing that point spread go down and, and everything we've discussed, I, I don't know why I'm picking it like this. I really don't have any reason to, I just, this is more of a gut feel that I think Oklahoma state's going to come out and play really well and, and, and win the game. Some not handily, but but in the final result will be. I'm gonna go 28-17 OSU. I think Desmond Jackson has another big day. And I, I just I think they have more firepower on offense. We just discussed how the offense hasn't played very well this year, but I just I can't see TCU keeping up with with OSU with the way OSU's defense. I know they struggled against tech uh, in rushing defense, but they did face 17 possessions from Texas Tech, which I think Barry Trammell wrote that that's the most possessions he's tracked since he's been tracking possessions in Big 12 play. So I, I can understand how they got a little gas there in the second half and, and gave up some of those late, late late scores. I think the defense gives Duggan a lot of trouble. And I just think Sanders and Tylen and Desmond Jackson make enough plays. So I'm going to go 28-17 OSU. And they finally win a game not in cardiac cowboy fashion. They finally uh, win by double digits. Yeah, boy, the one thing that's really scaring me – I do not like the line movement in this game. I'm a big Vegas guy. I totally buy into, you know, them knowing something that we don't. The fact that it's moving TCU's way scares me because I'm fully prepared to pick this game like 37 to 20 Oklahoma State. I think this is a bad matchup for TCU. I think Oklahoma State, what they do defensively 
Uh, assuming Rodarius Williams is back healthy, it was a mild foot sprain, ankle sprain. They said that he should be fine, good to go. So assuming that he's out there, I think you just put him on TCU's best receiver and then load the box, force them to throw the ball, and Max Duggan's not good enough to do that, I don't think. So this line is confusing me. Um, for whatever reason, Oklahoma State seems to be allergic from to, to running away from teams and hiding. They just haven't really done that this season. Even last week, they were up by 19 with like six minutes left and had to convert a third and one to keep from giving Tech the ball back and giving them a chance to score. So um, is Alex Hale playing this week? What do we know about Alex Hale? I need to know about my kicker before I make my prediction. Yeah, I mean, I was going to bring that up. I mean, um, he didn't play last week. I The way he went down, that video at, at – at Norman and Bedlam, it looked like a, a, a pretty significant knee injury. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of thinking he might be done for the year, which is a huge loss because he was having an All-American type season. He was one of OSU's best players, frankly. He had hit some really clutch kicks to keep OSU in a lot of games. And uh, the pole kid kind of came back down to earth against Texas Tech. And uh, that to me is a big concern. But if I had to guess, Colby, I, I think he might be, might be done for the year just based on the way he went down with that knee. Yeah, I just searched his name on Twitter, and I can't really find anything about it. So, um, Not a lot of kicker injury news out there. (laughs) Right, yeah. Nobody's really tracking that stuff. Uh, Like I said, I want to pick it 38 to 20, but I don't think I'm going to because Oklahoma State just doesn't really run away from teams. So give me 31-27. Close game, Oklahoma State wins. I think they're the better team. I think they should run away from TCU, but I think TCU will do just enough, be just enough of a pest to stay in it. So I'll go 31-27. A lot of points for two mediocre offenses. Although I uh, – 31-27, that's not too much. I mean, no, you're even, right. Yeah, 31-27. What's the over-under on this game? Let's look. Over-under is yeah, 51 and a half, actually, so that would be quite a ways over the total. Yeah. I, mean, I, could, I could see this being kind of like the Kansas State game where it was like 12 nothing <laughs> K-State for, for a long time in that game. But, uh, you know, I did pick OSU to get up to 28, so – we're not we're not terribly far apart, so we'll have to wait and see if uh, Oklahoma State can keep their Big Twelve title hopes alive. I mean, they they're still rooting for the Mountaineers. Obviously, Oklahoma has a lot of the tiebreaker scenarios, but uh, there is a there is a path for OSU to make it into the Big Twelve championship game, which would be just insane. Considering, you know, it's it's easy, Colby, just to you know vault OU ahead of Oklahoma State, and you, you look at their record; they have the same record. And it, it's so hard to realize that or grasp that with the way the Bedlam game played out, with how much they were outclassed in that game. But it is a fact, Colby. They still can sneak into this Big Twelve championship game, and, and if they did, they wouldn't have to face a rematch in Oklahoma. So they, there's even a ouch, like a remote possibility they could win a Big Twelve championship still, which is just crazy to think about with how the seasons played out. Yeah, it's really. I just. Keep going back to that Texas game. You uh, really let one get away, and it just kind of ruined everything. Yeah, no doubt. So that's our preview of uh, OSU-TCU. Before we uh, move on to the uniform preview, Colby, uh, we got to talk a little hoops. Cade Cunningham and the Cowboys remain unbeaten. They're now 3-0. and They went on, on the road and beat a, a pretty good Marquette team. I think that's going to be end up being a really good win at the end of the season out, out of conference. Would you, uh, would you make of that game and – and, uh, you know, Mike Boynton's got a lot of freshmen. Obviously, the, the only real player with any sort of experience at Oklahoma State is Isaac Likely for the most part. So it's, uh, it, it's a completely new team, and there's a lot of new names to know. But what has stood out to you through three games in, in that game against Marquette? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I, I hadn't read before the game that Avery Anderson, uh, Chris Harris, and Montreal Pena didn't make the trip. So mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised whenever I saw the rotations and they didn't include Avery Anderson because he, he was averaging 21 minutes a game the first two games, but I thought what they did uh, on Tuesday night against Marquette was phenomenal. They got down early in that game, 19 to seven, and then Mike Boynton called the timeout. And sometimes I think in game, it's really hard to watch a basketball game. You know, you watch a football game and you, if your coach punts from the opponent 39 yard line, okay, you, you know that you can be mad at your coach, but in basketball, I don't think it's that easy to identify individual coaching decisions but they got down 19 to seven at about the 15 minute mark in the first half. Mike Boynton calls a timeout, brings his guys over. They come back out in a 2-2-1 press zone that they then dropped into a 2-3 zone in the front court. Absolutely stifled Marquette the rest of the game. They go on a 15-0 run immediately out of that timeout. 
everything starts to flow. They looked really good. So uh, mad props to Mike Boynton for making that adjustment, which gave Marquette all kinds of trouble. They turned it over 24 times, Marquette did, in that game. And I got to say, Cade looks really good early, but, dude, I need more Rondell Walker. That kid has got some dog in him, and he Mm -hmm. goes hard. He gets the ball in his hands, and he is looking to score. He played 26 minutes on Tuesday, and I need more 26-minute games from Rondell Walker because every time he's touched the floor this year, I've really liked what I've seen. Oh, and he was 8 of 9 from the free throw line, and Oklahoma State needs more good free throw shooters on the floor. Yeah, he. I, I thought he was the most impressive player on the floor for OSU. I mean, you know, there was so much hype about – you know, Moncrief, obviously Cade and, and some of the other freshmen, but Rondell Walker was a big time recruit too out of Putnam City West High School here in Oklahoma City. And he really impressed me off the bench. 16 points, like you mentioned, eight of nine from the free throw line. And really, just, he just makes stuff happen when he's on the floor. So I, I was really encouraged by him. And also this Bryce Williams kid, the transfer, he showed some range. Uh, he, he really lit it up from three. Uh, let's see here. He was three of five from three at 13 points off the bench. You know, 60% from three-point range will get it done. And so, like, I think this just speaks to, you know, there's so much hype around Cade, but they just have, it seems to me, a lot of depth. I mean, John Rothstein from from CBS tweeted that out when he was watching the games. Like, this team's way more than just Cade Cunningham. Like, Mike Boynton's actually built legit depth, and that's something that he has really lacked over his, you know, early tenure at OSU. He had to run a few guys off. And it seemed, it seemed like every year he had a couple guys either transfer or he had to run off that he just didn't have a bench. And so now I think he has, you know, full roster at his disposal, obviously highly touted recruits. And I'm glad you mentioned the defense. That was probably the most exciting thing that I heard from Mike Boynton when he was introduced is that he is a defensive-minded head coach, which is, which is what OSU basketball is built on, going back to Eddie and, and Iba and everybody else. And I loved the way he mixed up his defense. He zoned them to death. He's not, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't just, he's not just anti-zone like Eddie was, you know, Eddie was just like, we're playing man to man. And if you can't handle it, I'm going to put someone else in, but I love the way Boynton mixed it up. And to me, this is just another example that he's a good coach. I know the results haven't been there, but he has shown me enough over his tenure in game. His in game coaching to me has been impressive. He's drawn up some really good out of timeout plays when they've had to have them over the years. And to me, the way he's able to mix up his defense is really exciting considering what he's recruited. And this is also something he said when he was introduced is that he's going to recruit long, rangy, athletic uh, players that are going to guard your face off. And that's what we saw. And that was impressive. And, and along the lines of Cade, too, it hasn't been just, you know, flying off the screen. Like, you know, he hasn't looked like – you know, LeBron James just dominating a basketball game. To me, he's done, he's played team basketball. He's been so smooth. It looks like an effortless 15 points, an effortless 20 points the game before that. And he's not trying to do too much. He's not trying to say, I'm Cade Cunningham. I'm the number one pick. Give me the ball and get out of the way. I think he's really playing solid team basketball and is really kind of going with the flow of the game, which has been impressive to me. Yeah, I think that that's a testament to both him and Mike Boynton the fact that Boynton has gotten him to buy in, the fact that he's bought in and that he's playing. It it doesn't look to me that when I watch Oklahoma State three games in that he's playing to make himself the number one pick in the draft. It looks to me like he's playing to get everyone else involved and to win basketball games. You know, could Cade Cunningham score 35 on any given night? Sure. He could go out. He could jack it up 25 times. He could score a bunch of points. But all that's going to do is alienate some of the guys around you. And uh, I'm not just making this comparison because it's an OU guy. This isn't pick on OU hour. But you remember Trey Young in Norman and that hot start they got off to, and they got up to number four in the country. And then what happened? They got into the meat of the schedule in conference play, and Trey Young had that Bedlam game where he shot it like 42 times or something ridiculous. And then OU lost all of its chemistry, and then they lost all of their games down the stretch because it wasn't team basketball. So I hope – you know, once or twice this year, yeah, I would like to see Cade score 35. But I hope that 90% of the time he just plays within himself because, you know, his game is being a Swiss Army knife. It's being a facilitator, getting his teammates involved, rebounding. I think his defense has been impressive. He had three steals and a block in that game against Marquette the other night. So I think if he can just keep doing what he's doing, 
Uh, that's all we need from Cade. And then one guy that I think you can clearly see there's a lot of talent there, but I think he just looks really, really raw is Matthew Alexander Moncrief. Mm-hmm. You can tell that he's got the tools, but it feels to me like he's moving a little bit too fast. Like the game hasn't really slowed down for him. I mean, he's three games into his collegiate career coming from Canada down here and everything two for nine from the floor on Tuesday night in 23 minutes. It's clear. The talent is there with Moncrief. He just might require a little bit more patience as he gets accustomed to the speed of division one basketball. Yep. I totally agree. I think he's going to get better and better and better. He's, he was a really high title recruit too, right there, but below Cade. So it's going to be fun to Canada. watch him progress. Yep, number one Canada. Uh, so OSU, they play Oakland on Saturday, Oral Roberts on Tuesday, and then then really a big game at Wichita State, which we'll learn a lot more about Oklahoma State. That's a tough game on the road. Obviously, Wichita State has their own issues with Greg Marshall. I was to say, uh, who's coaching Wichita State now? Who knows? I guess one of his assistants, I would presume. But, you know, they're, they're having their own issues. But I think uh, – it's been fun to watch. We'll, we'll have to see. Obviously, they haven't played you know, a, a brutal schedule yet, but a, a really solid win at Marquette. So they've done all they had to do at this point. So it's going to be fun to watch uh, progressing through the rest of the season. So without further ado, let's get to the Chris's University Spirit Uniform Preview, Colby's favorite segment, uh, brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. Be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Road game, Colby. So we're going to get the jersey, right? They have to wear the white jersey on the road. For some reason, they don't allow them wearing the gray on the road, which I've never really understood. But uh, you got a uniform prediction for me. Yeah, I'm going to go white, white, black this week. I was trying to figure out because we got two road games to end the season. So I'm I'm trying to figure out what they're going to do this week, what they're going to do next week. They just wore the orange on orange. So I think they'll go away from the orange this week and then back to it next week. So this week, I'm going to go white helmets, white shirts, black pants. They have worn that at TCU several times. I remember yep. the uh, the Chris Carson game where he was just trucking <laughs> horn frogs all over the field. By the way, he went beast mode on that touchdown run Monday night. Oh, he is so fun. When he, get, when he gets into beast mode like that, he is just a freak of nature. You know, and I, I mentioned Tyreek Hill and, and Tyron Johnson on, on the, one of the on last, our last episode. And I think Carson's right there in terms of guys you just wish – would have done more at Oklahoma State. Obviously, he had that, that great end to his career in Stillwater, but he, I know he had some injuries as well. But, man, he's, he's turned into a really good NFL running back as a, as a seventh-round pick. You don't, you don't see that very often. Guys usually taken in the seventh round don't even make the team, let alone have the career that, that Chris Carson's had. Yeah, no doubt about it. He's uh, He's been unbelievable. I've, I'm in two fantasy leagues. I have him on both of those teams. Had to trade for him in one of those leagues. And unsurprisingly, I made the playoffs in both leagues because uh, he's a baller. So hopefully he dominates in the playoffs. Yeah, no doubt. I've got him in one of mine as well. And, uh, oh, I had I had Derrick Henry and Tyree Kill on one of my teams last week. That that was pretty good. <laughs> I destroyed the guy I played with those two guys. I was say, he was – whoever you were playing against was real mad. Real they com- mad. They combined for like 100 points themselves, which was, which was awesome. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to go, I wanted, I was thinking about going white, white, black too. I think that's probably the pick, but just to be different, I think this is one of my favorite looks and they don't wear it very often is, is the white, white, orange. Uh, I just, the orange pants to me are my, my favorite article they have. I think they just pop when they wear them on TV. So the helmet, I will go, oh, I'll go, I'll go the white brand helmet with the, the black and orange stripe going down the middle with the, uh, with the orange face mask to match the pants. Uh, they, they, they like to switch up the, the face mask to match the yeah. pants. So I'll go white, white, orange with the uh, orange face mask as well. So that's our uniform preview. Uh, Colby, we got one interesting thing before we uh, get out of here. What's yours? Yeah, one interesting thing. Let me click refresh on the leaderboard here so that I can give you an updated <laughs> score. But my one interesting thing, Austin Ekro is playing in the Mayakoba Golf Classic this week down in Riviera Maya out on the uh, east coast of Mexico. And Austin Ekro shot a 69 yesterday. Very nice from young Ekro. And uh, let's see, he is even par through 12 holes today. So he sits at two under for the event, which is well within the cut line, uh, T31 for the event so far. So with six holes remaining, hopefully he can get a couple more birdies coming home. And Austin Ekro, as a collegiate golfer, currently sits fourth in the new PGA Tour U standings. Uh, which basically rank all the collegiate golfers around the country, uh, all the the upperclassmen who are looking to go pro 
um, number fourth in those rankings. And yeah, on a sponsor's exemption this week, 69 in the first round and even par in the second round. So well done, Austin Ekro. Have a good round today and hopefully he has a good weekend. Heck yeah. I'm excited to watch him whenever he gets on the PGA Tour. He's, he's had an awesome career at OSU. Obviously his, his career at OSU has been totally disrupted by, by COVID. Uh, but he's gonna be fun to watch when he when he gets up there. He obviously is, he's obviously ready considering the, the scores you just mentioned. So I'm, I'm also he shot a 61 him. at Oak Tree National this summer, which is disgusting. That's insane. That is anyone that's played that course knows how how difficult that is. Uh, my one interesting thing: uh, Kyle Porter just just finally uh, posted this on Pistols Firing. Uh, if you can go read it, he wrote his final 10 thoughts. You know, Kyle he loves loves to write the 10 thoughts after OSU. Uh, football and basketball games and to me it's always been uh, appointment reading but he has announced that he has sold pistols firing to marshall scott one of his uh writers for pistols firing uh, and you can go read his thoughts on on his decision and and where he's at with that and uh and he and i are going to do kind of a, a one final podcast together to kind of go over everything but you know kyle started this this website back in 2011 what a year to start it <laughs> the year that osu football wins the big 12. So he had, he had impeccable timing and I'm, I'm going to miss him, man. Uh, I was with him. I basically, I remember when he started the site and I thought like my first thought was like an OSU specific website. Is that, is that, is that going to be sustainable? Is that, is that going to generate enough interest? And it's become, it's become something of an outlet for OSU fans. They never really had, you know, everyone kind of thinks, and it's true that OU gets a lot more coverage, which is, which is probably accurate. But what he's built at Pistols Firing has been, been unbelievable. Um, I've really enjoyed doing the podcast for the past, gosh, I think we started in 2015, I believe. So five years now. And, uh, you know, Kyle's become one of my, one of my best friends. He's going to be in my wedding. And uh, I'm going to miss him. So but it's, it's a great deal for him. He'll have much more time to spend with family. And, and uh, it's bittersweet for me because – I've loved working with him. I've, I've loved what he's built. And, and more importantly, he's just, he's a, he's a great friend. So it's kind of an end of an era, Colby, but uh, we'll, we'll get, I'll get more into it with him, but that's my uh, one interesting thing. Yep. Kyle's been unbelievable and I've got this pulled up. I'm waiting to read it whenever we get done here. Um, yeah. He sent his tweet out and I'm glad I got to be a small part of it before, before he sold it. Like you said, it's been an outlet for Oklahoma state fans that, that really we've never had. And for me uh, really for the last, decade you know I, I was a student at Oklahoma State up until 2015 so um, really while I was a student in school I was looking at pistols firing blog it was just it was the place to go for everything Oklahoma State not just the generic big Justin Blackman Brandon Whedon stories you would get on ESPN you know go go look at baseball go look at wrestling softball all of it it was all there at pistols firing so um, yeah it's been just a thrill for me to be a part of it uh, I'm happy for Kyle as he moves on I'm happy for Marshall and uh, I look forward to, to continuing with pistols firing and wish Kyle nothing but the best. Yep. And we're, we're happy to have you on the show, Colby. You're, you're doing a great job. And, and for people wondering, it's, it's not going to change the podcast. We're going to keep doing it as long as, as pistols firing will have us. We, we love getting all of our takes out there on, on all things OSU. It's a good outlet for, uh, for us. And especially after just a diabolical bedlam game there, it was a real outlet for you and I to kind of vent and, and go over everything, but we're going to keep doing the podcast as long as you guys will listen. And uh, as long as pistols firing will have us. So again, Colby, I appreciate you joining me and uh, we'll talk again uh, on Monday after hopefully an OSU winning at CCU. Absolutely. Go Pokes.